How many of you guys have received a promise from God or He's talked to you about something or you read the Scriptures and you see the promises of God and it just feels like it's not going to happen? You begin to question yourself. You begin to think, man, maybe that wasn't for me or maybe I didn't really hear God's voice. Anybody ever felt like that before? I felt like that before. You see, we have all felt times in our lives where it seems like stuff's just taken too long. And we begin to, I don't know about you guys, but I tend to make excuses for God. Does that make any sense? I remember particularly when I'd be praying for people to get healed and, and they wouldn't get healed in the beginning. I remember I'd, I'd begin to make excuses why, why God didn't heal them at that moment. Cause, and I didn't know why. I, I was, somehow I just felt like I had to defend God. Turns out he doesn't need defending. And it's not my job to do so. My job is to lay hands on the sick, right? And the same thing goes when, when you know, I feel like God's told me something. And, you know, we need to do something and go forward. And, and when it seems like it's taking too long, you begin to, oh, maybe I didn't hear him right. Or maybe, maybe this wasn't for me. Or you begin to make excuses either for yourself or for God. Or maybe you've had times, there's so many times when, when I would just like to give God my timeline, my schedule, and if you could just conform to this, I'd really appreciate it, sir. I got this figured out. And it never happens. He never conforms to my timeline. And it's a good thing because I always look back in, in, uh, in, in retrospect and went, huh, God's smarter than I am. Every time. And there are times, sometimes it feels like things are going so bad or pushing so hard against us, we begin to to feel like maybe God has forgotten his promises towards us. Anybody ever felt that way? Yeah, he's like, man, God, where are you? You See, I think what happens is, is that when we read the Bible, we have a misunderstanding of the passage of time that actually happened in the Bible. And I know this because one of my favorite ways to measure time is when people are like, look, this is what it says here, and just three verses later, this happened. The problem is, sometimes three verses later is like 20 years later. You know, you look at, I mean, you look at stuff going on with, 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 with the Abraham, you know, he's promised a son, and like the next chapter, things are moving, and you're like, well, wait a minute, that was 25 years later in a chapter. We misjudge the passage of time. We think about, you know, God's not moving. But the truth is, God is moving. He's doing His thing, but it's on His schedule. And we just get, we live in a generation where we just want to press the 30 seconds on the microwave and have it be done. Burrito is ding, and we're ready to go. It's this this, this, this society that we live in, this idea that, that we want it now. We want it our way and right away, right? But the truth is that God... It doesn't move like that. And most of the time, it's, I'd say all the time, it's for our benefit. You know, we think we want God to move in, in a certain way. And, but if he did, if he went according to our timeline, I mean, things would be messed up. You know, and, the, and I look at, and, you know, my greatest experience in this is trying to plant this church. We first started, we were trying to get a Bible study going up in Casa Grande, and, and man, it just wasn't happening, and stuff was going on, and there'd be times we couldn't make it up there because there was an accident on the freeway, and it's like, God, what is going on? You I mean, this is, this is what you told us to do. We're doing what you asked, and why is nothing happening? And then when the decision was made, we're actually going to do it in Marana. It was the same thing. We went for two years trying to get a Bible study going. And we just couldn't get people to come. And it's like, did I hear God right? Did he really want me to do this? But what I want to encourage you today is don't give up on the promises of God for your life. Whether he's spoken to you individually or someone has, has spoken over your life or just the promises in the Bible. There is so many promises that are for you, and if we don't give up, then we will see those enacted in our lives. Because what's the scripture say? With faith and patience, we inherit the promise. You need both of them. Amen? In Matthew seven twenty four through 27, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against it. And that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. 
The first thing that we have to understand when we're trying to, to make a stand, to be firm and not give up, is we have to recognize where our house is built. And I think we need to take a look back at that. The question is, where is your house built? See, the story here that Jesus is telling, it says that everyone who then hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. If you hear the words of God and you do them, you're living out the words of God in your life, then your house is built on a rock. But if you don't, it says it's like the man, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on the sand. And has anybody ever walked on the sand in the beach? And you got your, your feet on it, you're standing firm, and, the, and the, the water comes in. And then all of a sudden, as the water goes back out, you feel the sand being pulled out from underneath your feet, and you begin to sink. We were just at the, uh, in San Diego for the youth conference, and I remember standing there, and I kept standing and standing. And before a while, the sand had come around all the way up to my ankles because it kept being sucked out from underneath my feet. And that's exactly what the scripture is describing, that if you, if you stand on, if you build your house on sand when the water comes, and that's just, that was just a tide. Can you imagine if a storm came, what happens to that sand? And that's what happens when we build our house in that way. When we build our house on the foundation of the word of God, when we hear his words and we do them, our house is built on, a, on solid rock. It's like the, you know, it reminds me of the story of the, of the, of the three little pigs, you remember? And the one who built his house of stone, the, the wolf couldn't blow it over. And the same thing is here when our house is built on the solid rock of God's word because we hear it and we do it, then we can, we can press through anything. We can be reminded we don't have to give up because our world's not falling around, falling down around us. And something that I want to remind you guys as you read this story, it's the most important thing from this story that you can take is that it says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. And that was the guy who built his house on the rock, right? And then it says down here, the foolish man, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. I want you to know that the floods are going to come, the rain's going to come, the storms are going to come regardless. You're going to face tough times. Things are going to happen in your life that are going to press and beat against you and it's going to make you want to fall over and collapse. They're going to make you want to give up. But I'm telling you this morning that if your life is founded in the Word of God, no matter what, you will make it through the other side. Now, it just might happen. You might need a little paint afterwards. The shutters might be a little damaged, but God will be there. It's going to press against you. But if you don't give up, you will stand. You will make it through it. But if, you're, if your life is based on anything else but the Word of God, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to have your world fall down around you. It's like when I see people who have loved ones that pass away. My dad passed away a few years ago, and, and I looked at how me and my sister handled it differently because she blamed God, and I just put my trust in God. And there was a difference. And I don't, you know, I, I don't understand how people can live that way because I, I, would, I, would, I would fall, I would crumble under the weight if God wasn't there, if His Word wasn't there, His promises weren't there. But the first step in not giving up is to have your house built on this solid rock of God's Word. That means spending time reading His Word, knowing what He has to say about you, hearing what His promises are towards you. And the amazing thing about God's Word is, what does the Scripture say about His Word? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Your faith will increase. You'll find that when you know His Word and you spend time in it, you read it, you'll find that that those things that were beating against you before just don't have the weight, they don't have the gravity that they used to have because your, your faith is increasing and you're trusting in Him. In Ephesians six ten through 17 it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, not in yourself, in the Lord, and in the strength of His might, and put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breath plate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Did you know the Christian life is a battleground? It's not a playground. It's a battleground. There are stuff, if you've lived as a Christian for any amount of time, you've seen stuff come against you, and we need to be prepared in this battleground. I mean, if you go out, I mean, I know popular culture right now likes to, to make armor uh, stylized and sexualized, you know, and they have these men and women going out to battle wearing nothing because that's what, makes, that's what looks good on TV. But that's not going to protect you from anything. I mean, if, if you go out into battle in a pair of spandex, you're going to get beat down. That's not going to protect you from nothing. You get hit, you're going down, you're crumbling. But the truth is, we need to wear armor in this battle, and God provides that armor for us. You see, did you know that the word devil means the accuser, and the word Satan means adversary? That those are, the devil is out to get us because you are a child of God. He can't defeat you, but he wants to drag you down with him. And the truth is, our war is not with men. When people come against you, when people are behaving poorly towards you, it's not people that we're dealing with. But the, the scripture says it's, it's the, the, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, it's powers and principalities. Our war is not with men, but with the enemy, the devil. And the truth is, when we're living our lives and that stuff's coming against you, if you're not wearing the armor of God, it's gonna be, you're going to want to turn tail and run. You're going to want to give up. But if you want to stand firm, if you want to hold your ground, what does the scripture say right here? It says, it says that right now, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in that evil day. How many know that that evil day is now? And it says that if you want to be able to withstand that evil day, it says having done all to stand firm, that means that we have to, to do all the things that we need to do to stand firm. Spend time in the Word of God. Come alongside other brothers and sisters and, and stand against and encourage one another and stand against the enemy and put on his armor. It says, having done all that, then... Where is that at? Take up the, You have to all stand firm. Stand therefore. First, you've got to prepare, and then you've got to do it. You have to, st- having done all to stand firm... Stand, therefore. You see, in this armor that we've been given is, is all-encompassing. It'll cover us in every situation in our life. See, to gird up one's loins, to, to, to fasten on the stuff on us, to be ready to, be, to prepare oneself. And Paul was using a Roman soldier as an example to describe the armor of God because that's something they would have understood back then. Warfare is a little different now, but back then they, they got where he was coming from. And he says, you know, we need to put the, the breastplate on. Where is that one at here? A uh, breastplate of righteousness. We need to put that breastplate on. And a breastplate for the Roman soldier covered almost the entirety of his body, from his neck down to his waist, front and back. And when the devil comes against you and he begins to tell you things, he says, you're not worth it, you're not clean, you're not worthy. Put on that breastplate of righteousness, knowing that you are right in Christ. And that's going to cover you from your neck to your waist. I mean, that, that takes out a lot of the, the places where the enemy can hit you. If you'll just get that, understand that in Christ, not because of the things that you do, but because of what he did, you are righteous. Because that's the first thing the enemy is going to tell you is, is why would God care about you? Look at the things you did. Look at the stuff you're going through. And he's going to come and he's going to poke and he's going to prod and tell you that you're not good enough. But the truth is, in Christ you are. You are clean. And then the Roman soldiers, they wore sandals. Can you imagine going to war in sandals? But they wore sandals and they had nails in the bottom, hobnails in the bottom of them so they could get a better grip. Think of them as like golf cleats. Except for they probably didn't have Nike on the side. And it gave them better footing in battle. And the scripture says here, and as shoes for your seat, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You see, he's making these examples and say that that if, if we have the gospel with us, and even though the enemy desires war, and even though he's going to push back against us, when we have the gospel, we are able to stand or withstand. We have a grip. We have traction. Without the gospel of peace, we're going to get pushed over, but with it, 
we can stand against whatever the enemy is putting against us. And then he says, put on the shield, take up the shield of faith. You know, with, with faith, we can withstand any arrow that the enemy throws at us, any dart, any attack. If we will stand up behind that shield of faith with our trust in God, we will be able to withstand any attack against him. And you know, the soldiers that the Romans used, they weren't little, they weren't little shields. They could stand behind them and be completely protected. And if you've seen any movies about uh, warfare in those times, they would come up with these big shields, and when they were ready to stand, they'd put their shields down, and they would stand in a giant wall, and nothing could penetrate that shield wall. That's what God's saying. With your faith, your faith is like that shield wall, and it'll extinguish any attack of the enemy. And then he talks about, oh, where is it at here? Shoes, there we talked about that. Take the helmet of salvation. You know, when you want to kill something, what do you do? The, the quickest way to kill something is to attack its head. But the scripture says that salvation has us protected from having our head crushed by the enemy. That is our. It's amazing to me that God has provided for us a way to defend ourselves against every attack. From the top of our head to the soles of our feet, he's provided a way, the whole armor of God. And then not only does he have a way for us to be protected, but he's given us a way to fight back. It says, in the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You know, that's your greatest weapon when the enemy comes knocking at your doors, begin to speak the word of God. When he comes to you and he says, he says, look at you, you're sick. You have some disease. You can say, no, the scripture said, the word says that I'm healed by his stripes. When he says that you are, you are worthless, you'll never compare, you're never going to win. You can say, no, that in him I am more than a conqueror. I am victorious in Christ Jesus. When he says, you're weak, there's nothing you can do. You can say, no, in him I am strong. You begin to use the word as a weapon to fight back because the enemy can't stand up to that. You know what he doesn't have? A shield. And you can fight back. And he can't do... That. That's how we don't give up as we stand on God's word, putting on this armor, and we can stand against him. Amen? Amen. You know, I look at the scripture and we see story after story of people who, in so many ways, we could think they should have just gave up. One of those stories is the story of Joseph. You guys familiar with the story of Joseph? And Genesis 37, 2-4 says, These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. And he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wife. And Joseph brought a, a bad report to them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. You know, Joseph was 17 when his journey started. 17 years old. And he had integrity. And when others were doing wrong, he's out there with his brothers, and, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Joseph had integrity, and he wanted the right thing to be done, so he began to tell his fathers what was going on. And his brothers hated him for it. Because he was honest, because he was doing the right thing. And he started his life hated by his brothers, and, and so the scripture says his father loved him more. And I have to admit, that was probably pretty hard for the brothers. As, a, as a, having a sister, and, and I've had many stepbrothers, I can tell you that there's times when you feel like your parents love one of your other siblings more than the others. But in this case, the scripture says that actually did love him more. But he starts his life being hated by his brothers. But then God speaks to him and gives him a vision. In Genesis 37, 5-11, it says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamt. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dream and for his words. 
Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. See, now we have God giving Joseph a vision for his future. So he started out, he's already going through a rough patch, his brothers hate him, and then God says, you know what, I have something greater concerning you. And he gives Joseph a promise. And he has two dreams, basically saying that he's going to be ruling and reigning over his brothers and also even his parents. And his brothers hated him all the more for it. I've got to be honest with you, probably not the brightest idea Joseph ever had to tell his brothers about this dream. You know, sometimes we need to use a little bit of wisdom when we're talking to people. But he did it, he screws up, <laughs> tells his brothers about it, and now they hate him even more. And then he tells his, his dad about it, and yeah, I can just see him as a cocky teen. I mean, I could just see my, my, one of my kids coming up to me and like, yeah, you do what you want now, but I'm going to rule and reign over you. You're going to have yours coming. Probably a little cocky teenager being a little, little unwise. Sometimes when God gives you a vision, it might be just for you at the moment. You might need to use wisdom and when to share that with the world. But the thing is, is God promised him something. God made him a promise. And ironically, maybe that's the right word, or interestingly, it didn't make his life better. It actually made his life worse to start. You know, has God, what what promises has God made to you? Has God given you a vision for anything? I want you to know that sometimes when you begin to do the will of God, your life's going to get a little bit rougher for a while. You might work a little bit harder. God gave me a vision to plant this church, and now I work two jobs. I, I haven't had a day off in like two and a half years, going on three years. But I wouldn't trade it for anything, because I know God has a plan for, for me and for this church and everyone in this room. And it might mean that we're going to have to work hard. There's only a few of us here, which means we all have multiple jobs to do. We all have got a lot of stuff to do. And, and I've said it before, I'm not afraid about asking people to help out because we've got work to do. But that, that means it's harder for us. That means that sometimes we have to give up a Saturday. We have to, to, to give up a Wednesday night or a Thursday night. Every time more stuff happens, I keep add, adding more days to my week to do stuff. But God has given us a vision. And we're going to press through. See, the thing is, is we, we look at these stories and we're like, man, since God's called them, since God's got this vision, this plan for his life, it should be all downhill from there, right? God's got his back. Well, the truth is, God does got his back, but it ain't all downhill as we're going to begin to see. Genesis 37, 18 through 20 says, They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of him. Man, how many of you had kids or brothers and sisters that wanted to treat you like that? Like me and my sisters had some fights, but I don't, she never tried to kill me. I don't, I don't think. She wasn't successful if she tried, right? <laughs> In Genesis thirty-seven twenty-five through 28, it says, And they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, and with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. And then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. And then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of shelter, and they took Joseph to Egypt. This is... So the oldest brother is like, hey, look, let's not do this. Let's not kill him. He's, he's feeling a little guilty about this thing. But somehow in their heads, well, if we just sell him as a slave and we don't kill him, then somehow we will have no guilt in this. I don't, I don't understand that. But uh, anyway... Jacob sends Joseph to go check on his brothers to see how they're doing. And he was supposed to report back. And when he gets there, his brothers plot to kill him. And they throw him in a pit. And they're going to lie to the, to the dad and say, oh, he was, he was eaten by something. And then uh, Reuben, like I said, feels bad, doesn't want to do it. So his plan is that, well, at least I don't think I'm going to be able to convince my brothers otherwise. At least I can make sure that he lives. And they sell him into slavery. Now, I don't know about you, 
But if I was Joseph, I'd be like, God, did I hear this dream right? Did did I I misunderstand something? Because you told me that I was to rise up. But here I am going down into a pit, literally. And then he gets sold into slavery. I think at this point, I would be questioning, maybe I misheard God. Now, we all know the rest of the story, and we're going to look at that, but we know he didn't. We know that it comes out the other end, but, but man, as I read this, I, I even think to myself, God, if you had a, such a plan for his life, why would you let him go through this? Why would he face such hardships? And how many know that I bet you Joseph was thinking about giving up from time to time? But then as we continue on, things start to look a little bit up for Joseph. Genesis 39, 1-6 says, Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. And the Lord was with Joseph. Really? He's in slavery, but the Lord's with him. I, I would be questioning these things if I was Joseph. And it says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. And now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And i got to imagine he looked like me when it says that he was handsome in form and appearance. But so now things are starting, okay, things were rough for a while, okay, there's a rough patch, but now things are starting to look up, right? So Joseph is, he is a slave, which is not good, but at this point, he's overseeing the entire house. As far as slaves go, he's got a pretty good life at this point. And everything that he does, God blesses it, and he's blessing, even his, his blessing is overflowing into the life of his master. Did you know that your blessing will overflow into the lives of people that touch you, that are in your life? But he's being blessed, and these things are going on, and, and now I'm wondering if he's going, man, okay, that was a hiccup, I don't know what happened, but I can see God moving again. So let's, let's get ready to move forward. God's here with me, blessing so strong in me that everyone that comes around me is being blessed. And this, this is one of those situations where we begin to see, you guys know in Romans 28 it says, and all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. This, all things work together for good, not all things are good. We have to understand that, right? Not all things are good, but God will find a way that even the way that the enemy has intended to damage you and the way that the enemy has intended to hurt you, God can still use that weapon of the enemy for your good, for your benefit. He can turn it around. That's not to say that God ever did this. I mean, we see as, as, as things have mapped out, we see that, that, that God uses everything that happens to Joseph to fulfill that vision of Joseph's life. But I don't believe for one second that God was the one that threw Joseph into slavery or threw him into the pit or had him do all this stuff. But God was still there to turn what the enemy meant for harm to good in Joseph's life. So things are looking up for Joseph. All right, so God's with him. Things are maybe looking good. And then all goes downhill again. Genesis 39, 6 through 12. So he left, that he, so he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was a handsome and formant appearance. And that was the end of the last verse. And it says, And after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Now we see that Joseph is in trouble again. And you know the amazing thing about this story? Is he's about to, the, the, the Potiphar's wife is coming after him, trying to get him to do the wrong thing. 
And Joseph is making a stand. And he's saying, no, I have integrity. I'm not going to do these things. I'm not going to sin against God. And you would think that if that's the life that he's living, that nothing could go wrong there. But the truth is that even him taking a stand, she ends up trying and trying. And when he runs away, when he tries to get away, she steals his garment. And we'll see in the next verse that that she uses that to, to tell Potiphar that he tried to rape me, basically. And Joseph was doing the right thing. You know, if you're living for God, regardless of your situation, the enemy is going to keep on attacking. He is never going to give up trying to tear you down and bring him down with him. And if you are coming against struggles, it does not necessarily mean that you're doing anything wrong. We're all, it's so easy to be quick to just say, oh, if you're having troubles in your life, it must be because of some hidden sin or because of something that you're doing. But Joseph is doing all the right things. He's being, having integrity. He's, he's living for God completely. And we're going to see that his life's going to get flipped upside down from making a stand. That means that sometimes at work, you might have to make a stand and, uh, for God and stand against something because you don't agree with it. And you might face some opposition from your boss or from your, from your coworkers. And that doesn't mean you're doing the wrong thing. Sometimes the enemy is going to keep on attacking. And the truth is, if you have no struggles in your life, you might be walking in the same direction as the enemy. But one thing that Joseph does here that I think we could all use as an example is when trouble came his way, he says here, but one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he's left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. You know, sometimes when temptation is coming in your life, when something's attacking you and pressing against you, the wisest thing that you can do is turn tail and run. Sometimes it's not the time to resist. Sometimes it's not the time to try to, to stand against whatever's coming in your life. But sometimes we need to, to turn tail and get out of there particularly sexual sin. The scripture says that uh, regarding sexual sin that we need to flee from those things. Don't try to stand it out. That's exactly what Joseph is doing here. He's doing the right thing. And as we're going to see that even doing the right thing, it's going to cause him some more trouble. In Genesis 39, 19 through 23, as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled, and Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, in the place where the king's prisons were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So because Joseph wouldn't compromise, because he had integrity, because he was honoring God and serving God in everything he did, the wife lied about what happened and he got thrown in prison. Sometimes when you're doing the right thing, bad things will still come against you and it's not punishment, it's not, it's not anything but the enemy attacking you. And sometimes making the right decision and doing the right thing is going to cause pain and hurt in your life. You guys hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes doing the right thing is uncomfortable and it will cause pain and hurt in your life. You know what's amazing about Joseph through all of this? is The scripture doesn't record anywhere that he ever grumbled, that he ever complained. He just went with it. He trusted God all the way through it. And you can say that, well, maybe the Bible just doesn't record that, but to be honest with you, the Scripture, if you read the Scripture, the, the, no, the writers don't have any qualms about talking about people's poor qualities or their downsides. But Joseph never complained. He, he never grumbled. He kept on trusting God and, and going through it. And he gets thrown in prison. You're like, come on, God, what is going on now? I mean, he was coming up in the world. Things were looking good, and now he's back in prison. Why would you let that happen? But then once again, what the enemy meant for harm for Joseph, the enemy is trying to squash what was going on in Joseph's life. God turns it around again. Now he's in charge of the prison. He's doing all the right things. He has favor even in those worst position, in, the, in those terrible positions that he is with us. And no matter what situation that we find ourselves in, if we will live for God, God will be with us and we will be blessed. Amen? The truth is, if God is for us, who can be against us? 
And once again, we see all things working together for good for Joseph. And then while Joseph's in prison, he begins to have dreams again. In Genesis 41, 14 through 16, it says, And Vero sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the, the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Even in that, he says, you know what, it's not me. He gives God the glory in everything that he does. And in Genesis 41, 38 through 32, it says, And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people and shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards, only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it in Joseph's hand and clothed them in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. You see, while Joseph was in prison, you know, he interpreted a couple of dreams for the men who were, uh, that he had met there. And the, the cupbearer was restored after he interpreted the dream. And, and the, the, uh, the baker ended up uh, getting killed. And that was how the, the dreams were interpreted. And Joseph was true. What he saw was true. God had given him this, this gift to interpret what was going on. And Joseph never got big-headed about what God was doing in his life. Probably learned his lesson when he told his, his brothers about how things were going and got thrown into a pit. He's like, yeah, no more bragging. We'll give God the glory. So he gives God glory for it. And, and then he has to go to the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh says, hey, I need you to uh, interpret a couple of dreams for me. And the dream was, remember the seven skinny and the seven fat cows and the, the, the skinny cows end up eating up the fat cows and there was the, the seven grains of wheat eating the other grains. And uh, Joseph recommended that a wise man manage the food for the seven years of plenty to be prepared for the seven years of famine because that famine, because that's what the dreams represented, seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And matter of fact, it was going to be so bad that those seven years of famine were going to, to eat up everything that was in the seven years of plenty. So Joseph says, this is what the dreams mean. You should pick a wise man to, to take care of this, to make sure that, that these things are prepared, we're prepared for this famine that's coming. And Pharaoh says, can we find a man like this whom the Spirit is of God? And then Pharaoh said, Joseph, it's you. And Joseph is made second only to Pharaoh. How's that for favor from God? At this point, this is the, probably the richest country, the biggest the, of the time. He's basically the second most powerful man in the known world at this point. That was God's Pharaoh. You know how long this all took? 13 years. God made him a promise. It took 13 years. And it wasn't just like the promise isn't coming. It's taking a long time. But things were going downhill. Things were going bad. And sometimes we're like, man, I just prayed for healing and a minute and a half ago and it hasn't happened. God must not want healing for me. Sometimes we need to have faith and patience. Man, I've been praying for a new job, but as soon as I get done praying, someone didn't call me, so maybe that's not what God wants from me. Faith and patience. We inherit the promises of God. And then we have that dream fulfilled. This is 39 years later. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and he was the one who sold all the people of the, of the sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. And Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from? And he said, he said, they said from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dream that he had dreamed of them. And he said to them, you are spies; you have come to see the nakedness. Of the land. We're beginning to see that dream, that vision unfold, because isn't this exactly what the dream said? Joseph is standing while his brothers kneeled to him. And we'll find out that later the, the, the last brother and his father is brought to him, and they kneel to him as well. The dream is completely fulfilled in God. God made a promise, and God kept it. I want you to know that when God makes a promise, it's not ever a matter of when or if. It's always a matter of when. Joseph never gave up on God. He never turned his back. In the worst of times, when I believe that, that 
most of us in this room, and, and, and not speaking for you, I can say for myself, I would have probably given up many times in this situation. And the truth is that he didn't. He trusted God, and God didn't give up on him either. And he kept his word to Joseph. Joseph's 39 years old. It's 22 years after he was sold into slavery until the vision was fulfilled. 22 years he waited for what God promised in his life to come to fruition. And he never complained. He never grumbled. And because of the position that he was in, he was able to save his family. How is that for favor from God? And it's not the only story that you read in the Scripture. Abraham, remember God promised Abraham to make him a great nation? And then he, he's asked to sacrifice his son. That's a pretty big bump in the road. And as we know how the story plays out, it was 25 years before he even had that son when God promised him to make him a, the father of many nations, that his offspring would be like the grains of sand on the, on the, on the ground or like the stars in the skies. Like if you can count them. 25 years before he even had a son, the son of the promise. And then after all that, he's asked to sacrifice him. How's that for a bump in the road? Noah, he was warned about the weather that hadn't existed. There are some uh, historians and theologians that believe that before the flood that, that there actually wasn't even rain. It had never rained to that day. And I don't know if that's true or not. That's what some say. Some people argue the other way. But either way, it's a pretty amazing story that, that they probably hadn't seen rain and definitely didn't understand what was coming, this flood, rain that would flood the whole place. And he's told to build a boat. Everyone's like, what's a boat? What do we need that for? And he's told to build this huge, massive ship. No one understands. They all think he's crazy. And for 120 years, he began to minister to people to tell them to come along. And and there, there was provision for them to be saved in this ship. And everybody ignored him for 120 years. But God promised him, gave him a vision, gave him a promise to build this boat. And after 120 years, it actually happened. Anybody ever had to wait 120 years for a promise from God? Man, you think you got a rough one, you got to wait a few months or a few years. Can you imagine? Moses gave up a plush life with Pharaoh. He gave up everything. I mean, he, he was raised as the, as, as the Pharaoh's daughter's son. He had it made. And he gave that up to serve God. And he was even ridiculed by his peers, by, his, by the, the, the other Jews, when he tried to help them. They gave him a hard time. And then he wandered in the 40 years in the desert because of others. God had made a promise to him. God was using him. And he still wandered for 40 years in the desert. I mean, as a matter of fact, he never even made it to the promised land. But the rest of the Israelites did because they had promised. But it took forever. Mainly it was their fault. You know, most of the time when we have to wait for stuff, it's our own fault. It's like the Israelites. If they would have just went in like God told them to, trusted Him like they told them to, they'd have been in 40 years earlier. But instead, they believed the bad reports of the spies. So there's no way we can do this. What about David? David was anointed king. as a little, little boy. He was out in the field tending the sheep. He was anointed king. And nothing happened for years. I mean, that's got to be a tough one. He gets anointed king and then says, all right, head back out to the sheep. I mean, if I was just anointed king, I think there would be some perks or benefits that would come with that. But nope, they send him back out to the sheep. And then after that, the current king tries to kill him for years. He was constantly on the run. But he didn't give up. You know, the, the key thing with all these people is they never gave up. They continued trusting God. And God fulfilled his promise in their lives. And then the most contemporary one is Paul. Paul was given a touch by, I mean, Jesus spoke to him on the road to Damascus. said, I'm going to use you to reach the Gentiles. And every time he turns around, he's getting beaten, shipwrecked, stoned. He got lashes. He got his feet lashed. He was imprisoned. He was persecuted. And ultimately, he was killed. But he didn't give up. And he kept trusting God. And and we know him as the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He had an incredible impact. The reason the church is still standing today was as as a result of the largely of the work that he did. 
Because he didn't give up. In Romans 5, 1-5 it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know, we can live our lives trusting God, having peace, because we're justified in Him. You know, that's the greatest thing that should push us through anything is because no matter what the enemy does, no matter what comes against you, he can't separate you from the love of God. He can't take that from your life. He can't make you unclean. He can't make you unrighteous. He can't do any of those things. And that's by faith, completely by faith, not by anything that you do. Thank God it's not by the things that we do. We'll all be in a world of trouble. And by faith, we also stand in grace. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And then he goes on to say that not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And that doesn't make any sense to me. I read some of the stuff I read in the Bible and I'm like, cuckoo. But he doesn't say we rejoice for our sufferings. That'd be, now that'd be crazy. That'd be silly. What he's trying to say is that even when we're going through sufferings, we still rejoice for what God's done in us, for the great things that he's done, for his love expressed towards us. Even in our sufferings, we rejoice. Not for them, in them. There is a difference. And the reason is because we know that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Basically, we're strengthened as we rely on God as we get through these things. Every, every opposition that we face, everything that comes against us, everything that's a little bit tough for us, causes us or should cause you to rely on God. And as you continue to rely on God, you, can, you begin to get stronger. You'll probably notice if you've been a Christian for a long time, stuff that would have, that it would have caused you to run and, and flee in terror, that would, would have beat you down, doesn't make even a dent in you today. Because you're like, you know what, I'm just going to continue to trust God. One of the greatest areas for me in, in that, I've, I've mentioned it before, is financial stuff. There was one day I decided to trust God with my money. I began to tithe regularly, and I, w- I was giving regularly. Even if I didn't have the money, even if I was going to miss a bill or miss rent, I, did, I resolved to trust God, and God always took care of me. And in the beginning, it was hard. It was scary, and I really had to get through that. And we went through some, some rough times. And now I don't even bat an eye at that stuff. Because I know I can trust God on that no matter what. Because as I endured through those hard times, I was strengthened in that area of my life. That's why we rejoice. The enemy try, Once again, the enemy tries to beat you down and all it does is make you stronger. I don't know why the devil doesn't just give up. Nothing seems to be working for him. If you trust God, he has no chance. He has nothing to stand on. But the reality is that so many of us do give up. And that's why he keeps pressing wanting us to give up because some of us will. But the truth is that in Christ we can stand against everything. And as we begin to endure, that endurance produces character. Character is, it becomes part of who you are. In the beginning you have to make a conscious decision to do these things. But ultimately it becomes part of your character. It's just who you are. It's what you do. It's ingrained inside of you. And because of that it produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. When that becomes who you are, then there's nothing in this world that can take your hope away. And we begin to understand that we place our hope in Christ and it's never put to shame. When you place your, place your trust and your hope and your faith in Christ, you will never be let down. You may go through some rough parts. You're going to have some tough times, but God will always get you through it 100% as long if you don't give up. You know, the truth is, is that one day when we get to heaven, we're not going to need strength. We're not going to need encouragement. We're not going to have to persevere because it's all been taken care of there. No one's going to be telling you not to give up because there's nothing, there's no opposition. There's no reason to even have to give up. But in this world today, 
We have to make a stand. We have to stand firm, having done all to stand. Stand therefore and never give up. And the end result of this tribulation is is a hope that doesn't disappoint. And we'll end here in Hebrews 6, 11-12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. You know, we just looked at the story of Joseph. I'll give you a few quick blips of a few other stories, but those who we're supposed to imitate, that, that we may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith, inherited the promises. The only way to realize the full assurance of hope in our life is to keep moving forward, is to keep trusting God. And the only way to lose that full assurance is to give up, is to back down and to run the other way. If you will continue to trust God through every circumstance, no matter what comes your way. And don't get me wrong, I realize that sometimes, you know, the thing about preaching, and I I recognize that every time I preach, especially difficult things, when you tell people, like, I know your life's tough, I know things are hard, I know stuff is, is hurting, but don't give up, stand strong. I realize that's so much easier said than done. So much of preaching is like that. It's easy to read the words on the page and tell it to somebody, but to actually live it out in our lives can sometimes be tougher. But even if it's harder, even if it's difficult, the truth of the matter is, is the Word of God is true. The Word does not lie. And the Scripture says that if we show the same earnestness and have the full assurance of that hope until the end, that's what was desired for us. We need to show that, that, full, that earnestness, that full assurance, knowing that God is with us and putting our trust and faith in Him and not giving up. And if we don't give up, we will make it through the end. And by faith and patience, we will inherit the promise. Amen? Amen. Let's go and stand to our feet.